Welcome to Quanta Magazine's podcast. Each week, we bring you stories about developments in science and mathematics. I'm Susan Vallett. This week, mathematicians and social scientists have developed tools to help fight gerrymandering. Many voters don't like partisan gerrymandering. That's the practice of drawing voting districts to give one political party an unfair edge. The thinking goes that voters should choose their elected officials rather than elected officials choosing their voters. The Supreme Court agrees, at least in theory. In 1986, it ruled that partisan gerrymandering is unconstitutional if it's extreme enough. Yet in that same ruling, the court failed to strike down two proposed Indiana maps that used every trick in the book, according to a paper in the University of Chicago Law Review. Wendy K. Tam Cho is a political scientist and statistician at the University of Illinois Urbana-Champaign. She says in the decades since that 1986 case, the Supreme Court hasn't thrown out a single map because of gerrymandering. Right now, even though partisan gerrymandering is unconstitutional, we've never declared a partisan gerrymander. So it's unclear what that, you know, if you're never going to declare a partisan gerrymander, what, you know, what, what is it that's unconstitutional? The problem is there's no such thing as a perfect map. Every map will have some partisan influence. So how much is too much? In 2004, the Supreme Court called this an unanswerable question, rejecting nearly every available test for gerrymandering. In the meantime, many experts say the maps are growing more and more biased. Now, new quantitative approaches could help set a concrete standard for how much gerrymandering is too much. In November of last year, some of the new approaches helped convince a United States district court to throw out Wisconsin's state assembly district map. It's the first time in more than 30 years that any federal court has struck down a map for being unconstitutionally partisan. That same case is now bound for the Supreme Court. Cho says a key issue comes up in these cases. Will the Supreme Court say, here is a fairness standard that we're willing to stand by? And it hasn't done that. And it's not clear if it will or not. But if it does, that's a big statement by the court. Political and social scientists and lawyers have been leading the charge to bring quantitative measures of gerrymandering into the legal realm. But mathematicians may soon enter the fray. A workshop will be held this summer at Tufts University. One main goal is to train mathematicians to serve as expert witnesses in gerrymandering cases. More than 1,000 people have applied to take part in the workshop, far more than expected. Gerrymanderers rig maps by packing and cracking their opponents. In packing, you cram many of the opposing party's supporters into a handful of districts where they'll win by a much larger margin than they need. In cracking, you spread your opponent's remaining supporters across many districts where they won't muster enough votes to win. Sometimes these gerrymanders are easy to spot. To pick up the right combination of voters, cartographers may design districts with bizarre shapes. This was the case with the salamander-shaped district that gave the practice its name. Massachusetts Governor Elbridge Gerry signed it into law in 1812. Tufts mathematician Moon Duchin, one of the workshop's organizers, says in some gerrymandering cases, the Supreme Court just throws up its hands. They've stated repeatedly that bad shapes 
are an indicator, you know, like sort of crazy looking shapes are an indicator of bad intent, but they just don't know how to decide what shapes are too bad. It's one thing to say bizarre looking districts are suspicious and another to say precisely what bizarre looking means. Many states require that districts should be reasonably compact wherever possible. But there's no one mathematical measure of compactness that fully captures what these shapes should look like. Instead, there are a variety of measures. Some focus on a shape's perimeter, others on how close the shape's area is to that of the smallest circle around it, and still others on things like the average distance between residents. The compactness problem will be a primary focus of the Tufts workshop. The goal is not to come up with a single compactness measure, but to bring order to the jostling crowd of contenders. Duchin says the existing literature on compactness by non-mathematicians is filled with elementary errors and oversights. She says some compare two measures statistically without realizing that they're essentially the same measure in disguise. Duchin says mathematicians may be able to help, but have to go beyond simple models and take into account real-world constraints. We are absolutely fundamentally motivated by being useful to this problem, not not by publishing, but by but by having an impact. So we've been working really closely with civil rights groups and legal groups and political scientists trying to understand what courts want. Because of the flood of interest, there are plans for several satellite workshops across the country over the next year. Ultimately, Duchin says, the workshop organizers hope to develop a deep bench of persuasive, well-armed mathematicians with expertise in gerrymandering. A compactness rule would limit the range of tactics available for drawing unfair maps, but it wouldn't fix everything. For starters, there are a lot of legitimate reasons why some districts aren't compact. In many states, district maps are supposed to try to preserve natural boundaries, like rivers and county lines, and they must comply with the Voting Rights Act's protections for racial minorities. These requirements can lead to strange-looking districts and can give cartographers room to gerrymander under the cover of satisfying these other constraints. More fundamentally, drawing compact districts gives no guarantee that the resulting map will be fair. A 2013 study suggests that even when districts are required to be compact, drawing biased maps is often easy and sometimes almost unavoidable. In the study, Joey Chin of the University of Michigan and Jonathan Rodden of Stanford University examined the 2000 presidential race in Florida. In that race, George W. Bush and Al Gore received an almost identical number of votes. But in the round of redistricting after the 2000 census, the Republican-controlled Florida legislature created a congressional district map in which Bush voters outnumbered Gore voters in 68 percent of the districts. It's a seemingly classic case of gerrymandering. Chin and Rodden drew hundreds of random district maps using a nonpartisan computer algorithm. And their maps were biased in favor of Republicans, too, sometimes as much as the official map. They found Democratic voters in the early 2000s were clustering into highly homogeneous neighborhoods in big cities like Miami. Their remaining support was spread out in suburbs and small towns that got swallowed up inside Republican-leaning districts. The Democrats were packing and cracking themselves. 
This kind of unintentional gerrymandering creates problems for Democrats in many of the large urbanized states. Although some states have population distributions that favor Democrats, New Jersey is one where Democratic voters are evenly spread through a large urban corridor. Chin and Rodden's work shows biased maps can often arise even in the absence of partisan intent. Drawing fair maps under such circumstances requires considerable care. Maps can break up tightly clustered cities, like in Illinois, where the Democratic-controlled legislature created districts that link segments of Chicago with suburbs and nearby rural areas. Chin and Rodden say Democratic cartographers have a tougher time than Republican ones. They say Republicans can do strikingly well by literally choosing precincts at random. Since drawing compact districts is not a cure-all, solving the gerrymandering problem also requires ways to measure how biased a given map is. In a 2006 ruling, the Supreme Court suggested it might consider a measure that captures the notion of partisan symmetry, meaning each party would have an equal opportunity to convert its votes into seats. After rejecting so many other possible gerrymandering principles, the court's interest in partisan symmetry represents the most promising development in this area in decades. Those are the words of researchers Nicholas Stephanopoulos of the University of Chicago and Eric McGee of the Public Policy Institute of California in a 2015 paper. In that paper, they proposed a simple measure of partisan symmetry called the efficiency gap. It tries to capture just what it is that gerrymandering does. At its core, gerrymandering is about wasting your opponent's votes. Pack them where they aren't needed and spread them where they can't win. The efficiency gap calculates the difference between each party's wasted votes as a percentage of the total vote. A vote is considered wasted if it's in a losing district or if it exceeds the 50% threshold needed in winning a district. Stephanopoulos and McGee have calculated the efficiency gaps for nearly all the congressional and state legislative elections between 1972 and 2012. They say the efficiency gaps of today's elections dwarf those of earlier cycles. The efficiency gap played a role in the Wisconsin State Assembly case, where the map in question had an efficiency gap of 13 percent in 2012 and 10 percent in 2014. By comparison, Stephanopoulos and McGee calculated that the average efficiency gap among state legislatures in 2012 was slightly more than 6 percent. The two have proposed the efficiency gap as the centerpiece of a simple standard the Supreme Court could adopt for determining unconstitutional partisan gerrymandering. First, they suggest a district plan must be shown to exceed some chosen efficiency gap threshold determined by the court. Second, the plaintiffs must show that the efficiency gap is likely to favor the same party over the entire decade, even if voter preferences shift around. If these two requirements are met, Stephanopoulos and McGee say the burden then falls to the state to explain why it created such a biased plan. Perhaps the state could argue that other considerations like compactness and preservation of boundaries tied its hands. The plaintiffs could then rebut that claim by producing a less biased plan that performs as well as the existing map on measures like compactness. The efficiency gap can help to identify plans with strong partisan bias. 
but it can't say whether that bias was created intentionally. In 2016, Wendy Cho and her colleagues at Urbana-Champaign unveiled a simulation algorithm that generates a large number of maps to compare to any existing districting map to determine whether it's an outlier. There's an enormous number of possible maps out there, far too many for any algorithm to fully count. But by spreading their algorithms' tasks across a massive number of processors, Cho's team found a way to create millions or even billions of what they call reasonably imperfect maps. These maps perform at least as well as the original on whatever nonpartisan measures a court might be interested in, like compactness. In their paper, Cho's team used their algorithm to draw 250 million imperfect but reasonable congressional district maps for Maryland, whose existing plan is being challenged in court. They found nearly all of the algorithm's maps are biased in favor of Democrats. But the official state plan is even more biased, favoring Democrats more strongly than 99 percent of the algorithm's maps. This result is extremely unlikely to occur without intentional gerrymandering. In a similar vein, Chin and Rodden have used simulations to suggest that Florida's 2012 congressional plan was almost certainly an intentional gerrymander. Their expert testimony contributed to the Florida Supreme Court's 2015 decision to strike down eight of the plan's 27 districts. University of California, Irvine political scientist Bernard Groffman says we didn't have this level of sophisticated simulation available a decade ago, which was the last major Supreme Court gerrymandering case. The first case that essentially overturned a gerrymander was a Florida case, but it was based on state law, very peculiar state law provisions that were passed by initiative and therefore didn't really generalize to any other state. The first federal case, which of course has potential incredible precedent value, is this Wisconsin case. Groffman has developed a five-part gerrymandering test that distills the key elements of the Wisconsin case. Three prongs are similar to those that Stephanopoulos and McGee have proposed. Evidence of partisan bias, indications the bias would last the whole decade, and the existence of at least one replacement plan that would fix the existing plan's bias. To these, Groffman adds two more requirements, simulations showing the plan is an extreme outlier and evidence that the people who made the map knew they were drawing a much more biased plan than necessary. If the Supreme Court does adopt a gerrymandering standard, it remains to be seen whether it will require evidence of intent or instead focus on outcomes. Stanford's Jonathan Rodden says his research has focused on comparing bias that emerges from geography versus intentional political bias. There's just a deeper question about what is objectionable about gerrymandering? And do we believe that districts should come as close as possible to fair representation of the parties? And if so, we shouldn't really care about whether it's intentional or unintentional. That's the kind of thing that I don't know where the courts would end up coming down. I don't think anyone knows. The choice could have major consequences. Last year, Joey Chin and Dartmouth quantitative social scientist David Cottrell used simulations to measure the extent of intentional gerrymandering in congressional district maps across most of the 50 states. They uncovered a fair number, but they also found on the national level it mostly canceled out. 
They concluded that banning only intentional gerrymandering would likely have little effect on the partisan balance of the U.S. House of Representatives, although it could have a significant effect on individual state legislatures. They suggest banning unintentional gerrymandering as well would lead to a more radical redrawing of district maps, one that McGee says could potentially make a very big change to the House. That decision is up to the court, but there's plenty of work left for gerrymandering researchers. Rodden and McGee both say collaboration between political and social scientists, mathematicians, and computer scientists is the ideal way forward. Jeanette Kazmerzak produced this episode. I'm Susan Ballot. For more of this story, read Erica Klareich's full article, How to Quantify and Fight Gerrymandering, on quantamagazine.org. <laughs>